Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Burt's Books podcast. Bit of a mixed week this week. As some of you will remember, for my birthday at the beginning of the month, I did a special offer. People could have a free book if they spent over £10. And on that day, I sold nearly the same amount of books I would sell in a normal month. So it's been a bit of a challenge, shall we say, to try and catch up with myself and get all of those orders out. And I was so very nearly caught up on getting all of the deliveries out of the door uh, when one big box of books went missing. Uh, not my fault, honestly. I, there are a lot of books, boxes of books here that um, I might lose one, but this one uh, didn't turn up with the courier. And he was a bit, well, he was as confused as I was because he knew that he was supposed to be bringing me two, but he could only find one. Now, there is a strong possibility that it's ended up at Morrison's, uh, which is just down the road, but I haven't had a chance to uh, speak to them yet. Uh, because this week I have read three brilliant books and I will be telling you all about them in today's podcast. Along with, of course, an update on the charts and the latest round of the Page Master Quiz. So uh, all of that's coming up and if you are still waiting for an order, I've still got a couple here to send out but I'm hoping that I will get my hands on that missing box very, very soon. Now, the first book that I read this week was Tin Man by Sarah Winman. Now, you will remember if you listened to last week's podcast that I said I, I was going to read this, a little bit of a spoiler last week that I was going to read this, because it's just been announced that uh, it's been going to be made into a film. I first read this three or four years ago now. It feels like a lifetime ago, uh, so much has happened. But... I read it in proof and I read it, I, I can remember, it was a Wednesday night and I'd had a really hard day at work and I'd received this book a couple of days before and I'd been looking forward to it because I'd met Sarah at an event and she told me about it um, a few months prior and then it arrived and I was very excited to read it but work was crazy and da 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 da. But then that Wednesday night, I thought, I just need to give myself a treat. So I went to the supermarket, I bought a bottle of red wine and a takeaway curry. I sat and ate the curry and then drank the wine whilst I read Tin Man. And I read it in one sitting and I loved it. If you don't know what it's about, let me read the blurb to you. It begins with a painting, one in a raffle, 15 sunflowers hung on the wall by a woman who believes that men and boys are capable of beautiful things. And then there are two boys, Ellis and Michael, who are inseparable. And the boys become men, and then Annie walks into their lives, and it changes nothing and everything. So we meet Ellis when he's an older man. He's in his 40s-ish. And it's he's on his own. He works as a panel beater in a car factory in Oxford. He has lost both Annie and Michael. And he's struggling. He's struggling because of that. He doesn't really make connections with people anymore. He just goes to work. He comes home. Life isn't really worthwhile for him. And throughout 
his section of the book, we sort of uncover things as we go. We learn about his childhood. We learn about him growing up with Michael when he first met Michael. Uh, the sort of things that they got up to. And we learn about Annie and the first time they met. And there's this period where Ellis and Annie then got married and the three of them were very, very good friends. And then Michael just sort of cut out. He dropped away. And Annie and Ellis didn't really know why. And Annie kind of left it up to the two men, the two boys, to work themselves out. And it took years until briefly Michael was back in their lives and then there was a thing something happened and Alex was on his own so the first half of this book is all from Alice's point of view and it kind of tells the story up to um, going through a box of things in his father's attic when suddenly he's reminded of Michael and we then learn what Michael did in those sort of six years where they weren't together and why he moved away why he came back and then Ellis sort of learns and grows from that and we find out sort of the real truth about everything and yeah I, I can't really tell you much more I want to tell you so much about this book because it's it's just a lovely book I, it it really made me it calms me. It calmed me down that, that time four or four years ago when I was really sort of stressed out with work. It just was like a little lotion for the soul. And I have told so many people to read this book. Read this book. You must, must read this book. That I've never gone back to it. And I was sort of worried that it wouldn't mean as much to me this time round as it did that time. Because obviously it was a very particular moment in my life. And it it helped with sort of the feelings of just exhaustion <laughs> that I was feeling at the time. But actually, it is just a beautiful book. That, that's the power of it. And I read it this time. I didn't read it in one sitting. I read it in two sittings this time. Uh, it's not a very long book. It's just short of 200 pages. But I... It calmed me down again. And even though I wasn't particularly stressed this time, it, it brings your... It just slows you down. It lets you think about things. You really inhabit this world of Ellis. And these characters stay with you. I, I don't know about you, but when I read a book, uh, if I then have to tell somebody about it a week later, I struggle to remember the main character's name. And sometimes, even when I'm halfway through reading a book, I struggle to remember the main character's name. And that's nothing necessarily against the book. It's just I read so many books that it's not always that easy to distinguish them from each other afterwards. But this one stands out. And I would be able to tell you, you know, exactly what happens to each of the characters, uh, Ellis and Michael and Annie. And I was, I've always been able to remember their names as well. That's how it kind of just moved into my heart, this book. Uh, yeah, um, people have heard me talk about this before and they know I love it. Uh, they know I love Sarah Winman. She's a wonderful woman, wonderful writer. And I just would say, if you haven't read this book, 
then you you have to. It, it's it's just a wonderful story, and I think it will allow you to take some time out of whatever's going on in your own life. And it will just let you think about things. It kind of did leave me with this sort of melancholy feeling. It's sad but happy. There's a, It's a book about grief, ultimately, but it's a book about moving on from it rather than how you suffer from it. Uh, so please do, just go and read Tin Man. Uh, it is available to order on burtsbooks.co.uk. I think it might have been the first book that I put on the website. Last week, I asked you what your favourite mystery book was. The actual range of answers was quite limited, to be honest, with the majority of those suggested being by Enid Blyton or Agatha Christie. But by far, the book that got mentioned the most was The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is, of course, an Agatha Christie. I'm afraid I've never read it, so perhaps I will have to add it to my list of books to read. Uh, Other books that were mentioned were, well, some more by uh, Agatha Christie, um, and then there were none, which was previously known by another title. You might have it on your bookshelf as that. Uh, There were Enid Blyton's Mysteries, the five famous five, uh, as well as a box set of her her other mysteries that somebody uh, said they read, and um, the Stuart Turton, which was The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, Uh, Somebody else said that that one as well. And I would sort of agree with that as well. It was a very, very good mystery. Uh, And as you know, I spoke last week about his latest one, The Devil in the Dark Water, which is available to pre-order now. Now, earlier this week, I was looking through uh, my stock of books in in the spare room that I have here. And I was looking at all the picture books. And it made me wonder, who is your favourite? picture book illustrator which which characters which do you look at and think that's just beautiful it's a lovely book it just makes you want to read it let me know on twitter at burt's books or email me bert at burt'sbooks.co.uk speaking of mystery books the next book that i read this week was the windsor knot by sj bennett It's not out yet, it's out on the 29th of October, Um, you can pre-order it now, but before you do pre-order it, you're going to want to know what it's about. Well, strap yourselves in, because this is a brilliant uh, premise. The morning after a dinner party at Windsor Castle, 89-year-old Queen Elizabeth is shocked to discover that one of her guests has been found murdered in his room with a rope around his neck. When the police begin to suspect her loyal servants, Her Majesty knows they are looking in the wrong place. For the Queen has been living an extraordinary double life ever since her coronation. Away from the public eye, she has a brilliant knack for solving crimes. With her household's happiness on the line, her secret must not get out. Can the Queen and her trusted secretary Rosie catch the killer without getting caught themselves? When I first uh, heard about this book, the editor of it, Ben, he sent me an email and it just said in the subject line, Her Majesty the Queen investigates. And I was sold immediately. I I like the Queen anyway, but I just love murder mysteries and this one had me intrigued. So I, when I received a copy this week, it was moved straight to the top of my reading pile. And it was very worthwhile. It's, 
I said a couple of weeks ago about the Thursday Murder Club that I didn't really like the sort of cosy crime description for a book. Uh, but if you buy into the cosy crime description, this is very much that. It's it's a lovely old lady who goes around investigating a murder, but it just happens to be the Queen. And what's genius about that is that she can. She's got this power. She's about the only person who could when Rosie, the private secretary, turns up at somebody's house to say, oh, I need to ask you a few questions the Queen would like the answers to. Uh, the, the People open up and uh, it's very sort of wryly noted at one point that the reason she's good at this is because everybody's always looking at her while she is able to notice other things. And it's sort of all done really subtly, you know, nobody knows that the Queen does this, not even her sort of most trusted advisor. She's always sort of used the private secretary role, which Rosie's new into. And it's it's a really lovely idea. And, and she goes off, Rosie, that is, and meets some of her, one of her former private secretaries, who then says, oh yeah, she's been doing this for years. So there's this whole huge scope um, for this series. It, it can be, doesn't have to be linear. Um, we could go back to the 60s and sort of read a, myst- read a mystery from there. The whole idea just charms me and we sort of get to know a bit about uh, what the Queen's up to, but it's kind of, she's off to do a, uh, a dinner with these people. and that, But that's not the main focus. The main focus is her asking these questions about contact lenses and things like this. And she's very, very clever. And, and it sort of puts you in this mind of, do you know what, I reckon the Queen could be doing this. Um, so yeah, it's a really fun book. And actually very similar, I would say, to the Richard Osman book, just in terms of the style and the sort of enjoyment factor. There's slightly different premises but essentially old people investigating crime what is there not to love and when that old person happens to be the queen who in the very first chapter mentions that David Attenborough has come for dinner I mean it's just genius uh I'm really looking forward to other people reading this I want to hear what you guys think and I'm really looking forward to the next book in the series I will uh read it straight away I'm sure it's out on the 29th of October 2020. Uh, it's in hardback and you can pre-order it now. My guest this week on the Page Master Quiz is Emma. Emma, tell us where you are and what you do. Um, well, I live in Blynavon in South Wales. Um, I work for the council where I live um, as a trading standards officer. I do a lot of reading when I get my spare, get any spare time. Lovely. What sort of thing do you read? Um, well, a bit of everything, really. Um, I quite like dystopian fiction, crime fiction, um, any pre- historical fiction, big favourite. Yeah, so as much as I can, really. Well, hopefully then, a broad broad range of books that you've read will help you out in the quiz today. Don't curse me now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you will get a Burt's Books pin badge just for taking okay. part. Uh, but if you are at the top of the leaderboard by the end of Dece- uh, by the end of November, you will be in the running to win a hundred pounds worth 
of Burke. Philosophy. Now you're going to get 10 questions. Each question is worth one point and five seconds in the final round. The final round, you will get to choose one of two categories and you'll be asked to name as many books, authors or characters that apply to that category as you can. So it all makes sense? Yes. Brilliant. If you are ready, we will begin. Question one. Which illustrator is commonly associated with Roald Dahl books? Quentin Blake. Correct. Question two. Burnt Toast is the biography of which desperate housewife? Ooh. Never heard of it. No idea. Desperate housewife. Uh, I can't even think of who was on there. Oh, Eva Longoria? She was on the TV show? Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was one of the others, Terry Hatcher. Ah. Oh, do you know what? I couldn't remember her name. <laughs> Question three. How many books feature in the Burt's Books logo? Oh, that's a good question. I've never counted. <laughs> um, I'm going to say 30. Oh, you're so close. 31. I will give you, oh. I'll give you half a point for that. Oh, that was a good, that's <laughs> a guesstimate, I'm guess. call that. <laughs> <laughs> question four. The Picture of Dorian Gray was the only novel written by which famous writer? Oscar Wilde. Correct. Which, question five. Which novel by Sally Rooney was made into a TV show broadcast on BBC One earlier this year? Uh, Normal People. Correct. A Suitable Boy was also recently adapted into a BBC One series, but who wrote the original novel? Going to say, I might not get this right, Vikram Seth? The answer is indeed Vikram Seth. Question seven. What are the three Deathly Hallows in the Harry Potter book of the same name? Mine's got blank. Is there a cup? No. I'll get one right now. Skip that one. <laughs> So the three, three answers are Resurrection Stone, the Invisibility Cloak, and the Elder Wand. Question eight. The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel and Shuggy Bane by Douglas Johnston are two of the books on this year's Booker Longlist. Can you name any of the other two? And I'm only looking for titles, you don't need to give me the authors. Two, four, Oh, I can picture it. Is there one called? Oh. No, I can see the pictures of the covers of some of them, but I can't think of the titles. There's quite a few. So you had The New Wilderness, This Mournable Body, Burnt Sugar, Who They Was, A Paragon, The Shadow King, Such a Fun Age, Real Life, Redhead by the Side of the Road, Love and Love for Experiments, and How Much of These Hills is Gold. Such a fun age is the one I was trying to grasp to the title of, but yeah. <laughs> Question nine. Amelia Clark and Sam Claflin starred in which movie adapted from a best-selling novel by Jojo Moyes? That last Christmas? It was not It Was Me Before You. 
Question 10. Which year saw the publication of The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, The Swimming Pool Library by Alan Hollinghurst, and Matilda by Roald Dahl? Oh, I'll say 1988. You are spot on, it's 1988. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yay, got one right at the end. <laughs> that gives you a, a very respectable five and a half points. Well oh. done. Now, you will get to pick. In fact, what will happen is I've got a load of brown envelopes here. I will pick two of them for you, okay. and you can get to pick which one of those you use in the final round. What are you hoping for? What category would be really strong for you? Oh, I, I suppose because I read a lot of historical fiction, historical fiction would be a good one. Um, as long as it doesn't feature sport, I'll probably be able to get one or two. <laughs> Okay, so uh, you will have, uh, as you've got five and a half, right? You got, you will have twenty-seven seconds, and you your options are DW or TF. What do you think they might be, and which one would you like to go for? DW TF. I'm guessing something fiction and something writers. Um, I'll go for TF. So you've got five and a half points at the moment. If you get another four and a half, you will make it onto the leaderboard. So you don't need to name many. You've got 27 seconds. You will, plenty of time. I think you could do really well. You've got, from the moment that I stop speaking, 27 seconds to tell me as many of the current top 50 books in the country are. Um, the Midnight Library, um, Boy Part, I bought recently. Uh, I'm going to say The Heart's Invisible Furies, just because I'm reading that right now. Um, what's my red? Oh, I'll say The Mirror and the Light, it's bound to be in there somewhere. Hamnet, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. And that's uh, oh, that goes quick. <laughs> it does go quick. Um, I'm afraid I think you only got two there. So oh, no. Hamnet and um, the other one that you said was Mirror and the Light are both now outside of the top 50. But Midnight Library is at number nine. Uh, uh, sorry, Midnight Library is there. Where the Crawdads Sing is at number nine. Boy Parts as well isn't quite in the 100 uh so uh you get two out of uh out of the list there's plenty of others that you could have sure um well it's number 48 at least uh so they include uh sorry it's just loading uh they include midnight sun uh giver of stars by jojo moyes uh you had world's worth uh, where the cruel does sing but world's worst parents by david walliams girl woman other the Beekeeper of Aleppo, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, My One True North by Millie Johnson, and the one at number 50 is Women Don't Owe You, I think that's Women Don't Owe You Anything by um, Florence Given. So okay. uh, I only, only about two of those popped into my head. <laughs> so uh, that was, I, I think that's quite a hard, that was quite a hard category. I think it sounds easier yeah. than it is. 
Um, but you get six and a half points. Doesn't quite get you onto the leaderboard, but you do get one of these pin badges, which I will send to you. Thank you very much for taking part. Emma scores seven and a half points in total, which unfortunately isn't quite enough to make it onto the leaderboard. But I think, as I said, that she had a difficult final round. It does sound easier than it really is, because we all think we know the books that everybody's talking about. But are they necessarily the books that everybody's buying? It doesn't always quite tally up. I have to apologise uh, to Douglas Stewart, the writer of Shuggy Bane. I refer to him as Douglas Johnston in there, who is, of course, Doug Johnston, who wrote the uh, A Dark Matter um, and The Big Chill books about the scales so uh slightly mixed up there however do you think you could have done better than emma do you are you better at names of authors than i am uh how many of the top 50 do you think you would have got email me but at birthbooks.co.uk put page master in the subject heading and you could take rat part in a future round and uh, earn yourself the opportunity to win a hundred pounds worth of books I have been meaning to read this next book since it first popped up on my radar when the Booker Longlist was announced last month. Uh, I hadn't heard of it before, um, but it looked like just my sort of book. It's called Such a Fun Age. It's by Kylie Reed, and this is what it's about. When Amira is apprehended at a supermarket for kidnapping the white child she's actually babysitting, it sets off an explosive chain of events. Her employer, Alex, a feminist blogger with the best of intentions, resolves to make things right, but Amira herself is aimless, broke and wary of Alex's desire to help. When a surprising connection emerges between the two women, it sends them on a crash course that will upend everything they think they know about themselves, each other and the messy dynamics of privilege. So, as I said before, this is nominated for the Booker Prizes on the long list. And ordinarily, I don't really uh, go near the book a long list. Certainly, I don't go near the book a short list because I just find that a lot of the books are fairly incomprehensible. They are tend to be there more for style and form rather than um, plot or, or, or indeed character sometimes. But this one sort of caught my eye and in fact actually the whole long list this year does feel more accessible which is well, there's a couple there that I want to to give a read and um, so hopefully I will give get the chance to read a couple more over the coming weeks but this one was sort of top of my list because it stuck out as not really belonging there in terms of uh, sort of the historical uh, books that appear on book along lists in the past and what I mean by that is it's quite it seems quite commercial and the book along list doesn't tend to be commercial apart from a few sort of uh, titles here and there like Hilary Mantel etc most of them don't go on to become huge bestsellers Girl Woman Other last year absolutely has um, and the Testaments, obviously, as well. But this one looks like it was designed to sell a lot of books from the off, which, like I say, doesn't always um, sort of lend itself to the booker. 
I'm not going to talk about the Booker Prize anymore. Let's talk about this book. So in terms of the setup, what the blurb doesn't tell you here is that uh, Amira is at a birthday party of her fr- for her friend and she goes there, she's had a drink, maybe one, and um, then she gets a phone call from Alex who it's late at night and uh, she summons Amira outside of her normal working hours and asks her to babysit uh, Briar, the three-year-old daughter, for a couple of hours because something's happened. And that something is an egg or a rock. Something has been thrown through their window. It's nothing huge. You know, it's not a huge thing, but the police are coming and she just wants Briar out of the house rather than just putting her back to bed. Uh, she sends her out with Amira. Amira goes to the supermarket with her friend Zara and she takes Briar with her because Briar likes looking around the sort of the market. She likes looking at the nuts and the tea bags and she's a very, I'm not going to say odd child, but she's different and uh, Amira sort of accepts this and she goes with it and she looks after her really well and you can kind of see that bond straight away. They end up dancing in the aisles with her friend Zara. They're sort of wearing party clothes. And there's this guy there. His name's uh, Kelly. We meet him properly later on. But he sort of... He he smiles at them and gives them a little round of applause when the dance is over. And then he carries on with his shopping. And then there's this other woman who uh, sort of smiles at them and passes them by. And then Zara heads off and it's just Amira and Briar. And then this security guard approaches and it's the uh, the other woman who smiled at them has reported this situation to the security guard because there is this black woman looking after a white child. She's not wearing what she, this woman, deems to be suitable clothing and um, she's thinking there's a kidnapping going on. And so there's a sort of standoff in the supermarket between Emira and this security guard and Kelly, the, the guy from earlier, he appears and he starts filming it and eventually it's all sort of extinguished when Peter, who is uh, Briar's father, Amira rings him and gets him to come down and everything's sort of settled down. Amira just wants to forget about it. Um, whereas Peter and Alex are, you know, Alex in particular is distraught and she wants to help Amira. Um, Peter is like, we'll do whatever you want. You know, if, we, if you want us to help you sue, obviously we'll do that. And then there's Kelly who has recorded it and he catches up with Amira afterwards. And he says to her, look, you need to, look, you, you need to put this out there. You, you know, you'll get op-eds, this, you'll, you'll go viral with this and you should uh, tell your story. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to become a big thing because for the other people, for Alex, Peter and Amira, this is a big thing. It's a big injustice. Um, Sorry, for Alex, Peter and Kelly, it's a big injustice. For Amira, it's sort of not that big a deal. I mean, it's a big deal because it really sort of upset her at the time. But it's not the first time something like this has happened and it won't be the last. And she just wants to get on with her life rather than be seen as a troublemaker. So she just sort of carries on. And then the and that's kind of very early on. 
that's, that all kind of happens within the first two chapters. What this story is about, then, is the dynamic between Amira and Alex. Now, Alex, uh, as the blurb says, is a feminist blogger. She spells her name A-L-I-X. She also um, pronounces it like Alex, Alex, like with the, with the emphasis on the second syllable, which Amira herself has trouble sort of working out how, how she should actually say it. Um, it's not her real name, her real name is just Alex with an E and she's moved from New York with her husband Peter and she's sort of struggling to adapt to life in Philadelphia uh, because as a blogger in New York she was hot stuff now she's still sort of trying to pretend that she's in New York because she wants those opportunities still but really she's sort of struggling to adapt and she starts to become a bit obsessed with Amira when she realises that she's had this woman babysitting her daughter and she doesn't uh doesn't know anything about her so she kind of starts trying to get to know her uh and her friends sort of encourage her to do so and they're all sort of these yummy mummies they are all very well-intentioned well-meaning but they come off quite patronizing alex especially Amira is kind of sort of happy-ish being who she is. She is worried that she's going to soon turn 26 and lose her health care because she won't be able to go on a claim on her parents anymore. Apparently that's a thing in America. So she needs a, a job that has health care, which obviously she's only a part-time babysitter and she's a part-time typist for another company. She doesn't have it. So she's sort of worrying about that. But then she meets up with Kelly again, purely by accident, and the two of them start to date. And so she's starting to think, oh, life is going, life is going well. And she doesn't sort of account for uh, Kelly being uh, a man from Alex's past, her first love. And that's kind of where I'm going to stop telling you about the story, because that might be a little bit of a spoiler, but you you know about it earlier than the rest of the characters do, I would say. In terms of the writing, this is beautiful writing. I say this about a lot of things, I know, that, you know, the writing's really good. But this is one of those books where it's just so easy to read because you just... Page one, those are the words... You, you start reading that first sentence and you're sliding through those words it's like honey it's just the right consistency of language the right length of words it's it's almost poetic in a way because it just sucks you in to the point that you don't even necessarily realize you're reading anymore and the characters themselves not all of them well not, not really that likable alex mm, it's tricky because you can kind of see where she's coming from, but because you can also see how it's going to backfire on her because she decides that Amira is something that she has to solve, whereas Amira doesn't want to be solved. She's not a puzzle to this woman. She's seen as uh, her employee. That's all she wants to be, but she's seen as sort of her obligation and a challenge and a sort of a white, rich white woman's project, which is what she doesn't want to be. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about race in here. For instance, Kelly is a white man. He has a history of just hanging around black people and 
and making friends with them and it, it sort of there's this question raised about that of is it sinister is it weird is it okay you know is, is he fetishizing people based on their skin color is it not even that is it just he has a type or is it that well we don't we don't know what it is uh, so it's a, it's that's a really sort of gray area a really tricky thing to sort of get your head around and when you're reading it you do sort of a couple of alarm bells go off because it's sort of like, why? Uh, and he, from his point of view, he's like, well, why not? I like you. Let's talk. Uh, so lots of things to be talked about. But at the end of the day, it's a really good plot uh, with Amira as this main character. She's the most sympathetic of all of them. And she, you kind of really are rooting for her. And there's her relationship with Briar, the free Rob. There's her relationship with Kelly. And then there's her relationship with uh, Alex, or Mrs Chamberlain, as she calls her. And you kind of want her to succeed in all of them. The relationship with the daughter is just beautiful, but the relationship with the mother is sort of a bit toxic, and you kind of want her to get out of that, but still see the little girl. And you end up with these conflicted feelings, which is what Amira must be going through. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I haven't read any of the others, but I would love for this to win the booker. I think it's uh, probably quite unlike anything else that they've had in there before, because I can feel it being quite mainstream a read. Uh, so, having said that, that's probably put the sort of curse on it, and it won't even make the shortlist now. But Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, it is available to order right now. And you will find out mid-September if it's on the shortlist and then the winner is announced in October. It's time for my favourite bit of the week. It is, of course, the book charts. And uh, you might have said some of these books in the uh, quiz earlier. So some of these books are, well, all of these books are, in fact, inside the top 50. We are just going to go through the top 10. And there are four new releases, or four new entries into that top 10 this week. They are The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Between life and death, there is a library. When Nora Seed finds herself in the Midnight Library, she has a chance to make things right. Up until now, her life has been full of misery and regret. She feels she has let everyone down, including herself. But things are about to change. The books in the Midnight Library enable Nora to live as if she had done things differently. With the help of an old friend, she can now undo every one of her regrets as she tries to work out her perfect life but things aren't always what she imagined they'd be, and soon her choices place the library and herself in extreme danger. Before time runs out, she must answer the ultimate question. What is the best way to live? A Silent Death by Peter May Spain, 2020 When expat fugitive Jack Clayland watches his girlfriend die, gunned down in a pursuit involving officer Cristina Sanchez Pradel, he promises to exact his revenge by destroying the policewoman. A silent life. Christina's aunt, Anna, has been deaf-blind for the entirety of her adult life, the victim of a rare condition named Usher Syndrome. Anna is the centre of Christina's world and of Clayland's cruel plan. A silent death. John Mackenzie, an ingenious yet irascible Glaswegian investigator, is second seconded to aid the Spanish authorities in their manhunt. He alone can silence Clayland, 
before the fugitive has the last bloody word. Sweet Sorrow by David Nichols. In 1997, Charlie Lewis is the kind of boy you don't remember in the school photograph. His exams have not gone well. At home, he is looking after his father, when surely it should be the other way round. And if he thinks about the future at all, it is with a kind of dread. Then Fran Fisher bursts into his life, and despite himself, Charlie begins to hope. But if Charlie wants to be with Fran, he must take on a challenge that could lose him the respect of his friends, and require him to become a different person. He must join the company. And if the company sounds like a cult, the truth is even more appalling. The price of hope, it seems, is Shakespeare. Finding Freedom by Omid Scobie and Carolyn Durand When news of the budding romance between a beloved English prince and an American actress broke, it captured the world's attention and sparked an international media frenzy. But while the Duke and Duchess, Duke and Duchess? Duke and Duchess of Sussex have continued to make headlines, from their engagement, wedding and birth of their son Archie to their unprecedented decision to step back from their royal lives, few know the true story of Harry and Meghan. For the first time, Finding Freedom goes beyond the headlines to reveal unknown details of Harry and Meghan's life together, dispelling the many rumours and misconceptions that plague the couple on both sides of the pond. As members of the select group of reporters that cover the British royal family and their engagements, Omid Scobie and Carolyn Durand have witnessed the young couple's lives as few outsiders can. So four new releases there, one non-fiction, three fiction... One of them is a hardback, so a nice little variation. Which one of them, if any, will get to number one? Or will last week's number one, the uh, Midnight Sun, the latest by Stephanie Mayer, will it still be there? There's only, as ever, one way to find out. And that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. At ten down five places is The World's Worst Parents by David Walliams. Slipping one place to nine is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Our first new entry at eight is Sweet Sorrow by David Nichols. Also new at seven is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. It's a third week at six for Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo, while new at five is A Silent Death by Peter May. Down one place to four is Jeff Kinney at, uh, with Roly Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Adventure. And at three, down from last week's number two spot, is Jojo Moyes, The Giver of Stars. Also down one place to two is last week's number one, Midnight Sun, by Stephanie Mayer. Which means that Finding Freedom, that biography of Meghan and Harry, by Omid Scobie and Carolyn Duran, is at number one. So an important week for the charts this week. Uh, another new number one. It seems we get a new one every week at the moment. But Charlie Mackesy, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse, is not inside the top ten for the first time this year. And that means that Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo is our longest running uh, entry in the top ten, having been inside for the for last 11 weeks. Will she still be there next week? Will Charlie Maxine make it back in? Will there be another number one book? There is only one way to find out, and that is by coming back here to this podcast next week. Well, that is everything for this week. Thank you for listening to me waffle on as ever. And do check out burtsbooks.co.uk if you need a new book or two. 
in the meantime, I would love to hear from you about anything book-related that you want to talk about. I mean, you can get in touch with non-book-related stuff if you need some help, but I am unlikely to be able to advise you too much there. So why not just stick to telling me what you're reading, what you want to read, some help buying presents for people. Uh, whatever it is, get in touch on social media at Burt's Books or via email bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. Also, those are the places to go if you want to take part in next week's Page Master Quiz and get yourself a chance to win £100 worth of books. I am off to Morrison's to see if they've got uh, some books of mine. Uh, so I will leave it here and uh, hopefully speak to you all next week. <laughs>